scripture this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars, if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness, the word of life. Friends and followers of Jesus, the amazing grace and peace of God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Well, what a great day this is. What a great day for you people of Mount Olivet Lutheran Church who have been so fortunate and so blessed to have had Beth Horsch as your pastor over these last nine years. In that time you have come to know her and to trust her and to love her, to appreciate her wide open generosity, her fresh way of looking at things, her joyful outlook, her unwillingness to take herself too seriously, and her passionate love for Jesus and for those who follow him. Looking for a new lead pastor, a church like this might well conduct a nationwide search for the best of all possible candidates. And I know that there was deep discernment and earnest prayer after Pastor John left. But it turns out you knew right where to look all along. Now, I don't want to discount for a moment the historical value reflected in your press release about your choice in this matter to be the first female lead pastor in this congregation's 135-year history is worthy of note and celebration. But I don't believe for a second that you chose Pastor Beth, because she's a woman. You know firsthand of her faith and her dedication of purpose and her leadership abilities and her servant's heart and her attentiveness to the will and the ways of God. And so by your call and with your blessings and your prayers, you welcome her now into this new role among you. What a great day it is for you, Pastor Craig Peterson, and for Bishop Ann, and for all the pastors and, and congregations of this synod that we are part of together. We know uh, Beth well for her uh, style and quality of leadership, and it's in all of our best interests that the congregations of our synod are strong and well-led as we move forward into what is an exciting and challenging time for the church ahead. We're confident in and grateful for Beth's role among us. 
I speak for the people of Oak Grove Lutheran Church in Richfield, who I can tell you it's a great day for them too. Beth was number five in a string of pastoral interns that we have had. And in a year's time, they came to know and love and respect and admire her. And today, I can tell you their prayers are for this occasion and for your future together in the days to come. And what a great day it is for you, Pastor Beth Orsch, that all of this love and all of this grace is so visible here in this. You're better at this than I am, although I've tried to learn from you over the years. Uh, you're better at seeing the hand of God in all of this, at seeing how particular God is in dealing with the world. I admit to a catch in my throat and a shiver of amazement when I think that Almighty God whispered into your own ear and said, this is for you. This is for you, Beth. I want you to serve my people here in this way, in this place. It's so astonishing that God gets that particular with us. And not just with you, of course, but with all of us. The baptismal water fresh on our heads, the cross traced with a finger, that's our call to ministry. But the people who have showed up in this place, this congregation, and have said, yes, I want to be a part of this too, they maybe don't even realize that this is God's call to them to be a part of a congregation, this congregation, to carry out your ministry among these people. What an amazing thing that it gets that personal. And you've heard this particular call, Beth, and you've said yes. And that is surely reason to celebrate. When Beth asked me to be here with you this morning, I was pretty sure she wasn't hoping for me to go on and on about her, although I could. Nor was she hoping for one of those sermons about all the joys and sorrows of being a pastor but instead that we would attend to the Bible text for today and listen there for a word of grace spoken to us. And so there is where we must turn. The author of Genesis doesn't introduce Abram with a lot of fanfare. No explanation is given why he, of all people, heard the voice of God calling to him. It would be later on that God would add another syllable to his name, maker Abraham, but at this point of the story, he's known to us as Abram, which in his language means exalted father, which is a pretty rich irony since he was up there in years and his wife wasn't much younger and their long marriage had never produced a child. The story goes that Ernest Hemingway once made a bet with his friends that he could write a story using only six words. What he came up was with, with was this, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. And if you were to ask Abram, he would tell you that was the story of his life. When we hear about them packing up their belongings back in chapter 12, there was no bassinet along with them, no stroller, no toys. 
Later on, God would change his name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, exalted father of many. And it's no wonder he thought that was funny. God's sense of humor doesn't tell us if he was laughing through his tears. The details are sketchy, but somehow he hears the voice of God calling to him. And whether you're Moses in front of a burning bush or Isaiah standing in the temple or the young Mary alone in her room visited by an angel, the calling of God is always a mixed blessing. For Abram, it means going, not even sure where to. And if he had any questions about all of this, they are not reported to us. If he had any doubts, we are not informed. The story does mention, does not, does not mention, excuse me, if his first response to God's offer is thanks but no thanks. We don't hear if he and his wife argued about this plan to go start a nation when they had been un unable even to start a family. We only hear that they went, as the Lord had told them, going on promises, running on faith. The New Testament book of Hebrews, when it wants to explain to us something what faith is all about, it looks to this story as an example. Not because Abram's own faith in God was so strong, when the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid for I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. Abram threw that promises, promises line right back in God's face. You mentioned something about children, God, way back when, but the only thing I can see clearly is the butler will be my only heir. And then patient now, as God is patient with us, God invites Abram to step outside. And there in the deep darkness of the desert sky, Abram could see how in a creative act God had flung the stars across the curve of space, a breathless view of uncountable points of light. And God asks Abram to trust and we're told that he did. He believed the Lord. If you read on through the story to the end, you see that Abram, Abraham doesn't really get much of the land that God promised to him. He bargained with someone for a little piece of it, just a place big enough for him to bury his wife. And later on, his sons would bury him there too. And he died long before his little family looked anything like a nation. But he died, we are told, a contented man. And we might wonder why. Because he never really received the promises of God to him in all their fullness. But yet he believed in some possibility. Some possibility that would unfold as God said even if he could not clearly see it yet himself. And that's the thing about faith. It's hard to step out in faithfulness knowing 
not knowing how things are going to turn out. The thing about prayers is that they aren't always answered the way that you hope they would be. Faith doesn't mean that God's blessings will always be evident in our lives, but faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things that are not seen. And I suppose that's where this old story intersects with our own lives. I so want for the journey of faith to be easy, and not just for me, but for my kids, and for my church, and for you, and for your future together. And I know that often it is not. I know that faith gets tested. I know that prayers seem to go unanswered. I know how tempting it is to accuse God of forgetting. I know how difficult it can be to face the things that people face, wondering how they will get through and wondering where is God in it all. I know that it's easier to put Eliezer's name as the beneficiary to your will than to wait for the son of promise to show up. I know how hard it is to step out in faithfulness, not knowing who will be on your side, how things will turn out, whether you are doing the right thing or simply making a mess of things. And God doesn't offer much to help out, but there is that faith that the Holy Spirit of God puts inside of us. And there is that spectacular view of the night sky. In the end, it all comes down to the faithfulness of God and how we trust in that. In the end, it all comes down to what that evening prayer says. God, you have called us to ventures of which we cannot see the ending by paths as yet untrodden through perils unknown. Give us enough faith to go out with good courage, not knowing where we go, but trusting that your hand is leading us, your love is supporting us.